HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Je m'appelle Kathy Irway, and you are listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I am attempting to speak French because <laughs> today, I'm so excited, we have Hillary Davis in the studio. Ah, uh, Kathy, it's so good to be back. Thank yes, you. Yes, thanks for joining us back in the station. Um, Hillary, um, you are a world-class uh, author, lecturer, cook, culinary instructor, um, journalist, and all-around uh, expert on French cuisine. Le, le, is it le or la cuisine? Le, uh, la cuisine. Okay, la, la cuisine de la feminine. France. Okay. De la France, oui. Cuisine is feminine, of course. Oui. <laughs> Your accent's perfect. Oh, really good. Merci beaucoup. Uh, <laughs> So your new book, yeah. though, it is mm-hmm. so beautiful. It is called The French Oven. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, this may be the only book I've seen that is focused around a kitchen appliance. You know, there's a really great, there is another book. It's called okay. Sheet Pan Suppers. Oh, okay. Which we all are starting to really love. Yeah. That book is fun. Like and all the mm-hmm. recipes are on, just on a sheet pan, you know, you just throw right. all this stuff. <laughs> Actually, um, I lied. Remember? I remember now recently a book that's all about the spiralizer, which is yes. kind of hilarious. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I want that one. Yeah. I, oh, God. No, it's fun. But um, this makes so much sense because... Well, we can get into a lot of the recipes, mm. but there's so many things you can do with mm-hmm. it. Um, but also, I feel that um, uh, the French oven, or Dutch oven as we mm-hmm. tend to call it too, um, it's so emblematic of uh, a certain home cooking French tradition and yeah, um it, yeah. it speaks volumes and it speaks to what i all the cookbooks that i write 
uh, are mm-hmm. meant to do. Right. Um, because for me, French cooking is, we think of it as sort of fussy and mm-hmm. frilly and hard to do and so many techniques and haute cuisine. And, it, yeah. Oh my God. And if you go into a regular home there, it's sort of thrown in a pot. Right. You know, and I'm even, I'm doing one now just on desserts and the desserts are just you know, simple cakes and puddings. Mm. And so French cuisine is the ultimate comfort food. It's the ultimate home food. It it never aspired to be anything more than just give pleasure to people in your home and your friends. And you really hit something on the nail by focusing on this French oven Mm -hmm. because so many great things and so many memories are formed around it. It's such a visceral sight and it's beautiful and it's substantial. Right. Um, And uh, I certainly can't remember, you know, any of the uh, you know, crappy nonstick pans that my mom may have used <laughs> for like two years and then replaced with another. <laughs> well, you They're- know, the other thing about these, um, the reason I wrote this book too is a really personal one because Dutch ovens we all love. They're those heavy mm. cast iron enameled pots that we love to make stews and soups right. and everything in. And when you're a bride, it's the first thing you ask for on your registry because they're so expensive. Or Christmas presents. Right. But for me, after years of living there and collecting them and cooking and I, yeah mm-hmm. i think the french ones are the best and that's why this is called le french oven oh. to sort of, a, of a, a give a little homage homage mm-hmm. to the ones made in france because for me the others i don't know where they come from you <laughs> yeah. know they're from brazil they're from china and that's not to denigrate them but as we know, French quality standards are so high, mm. and their design level is at such a high level. I mean, they're very high-tech now, um, creating French ovens that are light, light to pick <laughs> up out of that porcelain. That doesn't sound good. And they're, um, they can go up to 550 or higher degrees. Ah. And they're beautiful. They're modern. Some are copper. The, the designs are exquisite. So I concentrated this homage... Um, to the ones made in France and the little mini cocottes because yes. all those manufacturers make the little tiny ones, the individual ones right. that are so sweet and there isn't a cookbook for them. Ah, that's true. Right. Uh, and, you know, certainly there's this whole heritage that goes behind um, the makers in France. Huge. That that are making it and, and the purposes that they're making it for, they're very close to, I, mm-hmm. I would imagine. So, I mean, Revol but- is one. Okay. And that's a high-tech one that I really like. This mm-hmm. is probably one of my favorites. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I love, I love how it. you break down some of the brands because a lot of people know it. Just Le Creuset. Which yeah, is so I give you all the brands and, and mm-hmm. Le Creuset since 1925. Emily Henry. Which I- Emile Henry, as I say it, <laughs> but you said it better. Um, but, you know, for instance, Revol is 11th generation family. Oh, wow. And the factory workers have been there for four generations, passing on the job from hand to hand. And the other thing that I love about this Mm -hmm. in today's world, each one's a snowflake. Each one is totally unique. They're handmade. They don't come off an assembly line. So you walk into the factories and... Guys are pouring hot metal into sand molds. That sand mold goes away, dissipates once that no little, way. Yeah, and then they hand spray on this enamel. And Emile Henry goes so far as to sign, have those people sign each one that they make on the bottom. So if you buy one now, 
or you go in the department store, turn it over, oh, and you'll see the person's oh, name. Gosh. And I think, you know, that connection to the person mm-hmm. is, is just this intangible for me. I mean, you, I, you don't see that with anything mm-hmm. these days. No. Or no. a lot. That's amazing. Uh, you mentioned uh, the mini cocottes, but mm. are these all like large or small? The, are they termed cocotte? In France, a French oven or a Dutch oven is a cocotte. Okay. And then the little mini ones are like the little mini me's. Mm. You know, yeah, little, yeah. They look like the big guys, but they're just uh, eight ounces. You know, they're so adorable, but I find a lot of people um, not knowing what to do with them. Mm-hmm. So I need to point them out to the, the first section of your book, which is all about those wonderful little... Uh, yeah, it's all appetizers of, you can throw together. Yeah, and those little guys, they're and fun. Gratons and, and then I've got desserts for desserts, them at the back. Course. And the desserts are really the fun yeah, part. Cause, the mini quiche. Yeah. Ugh, and everything is so tasty. It's it's um, it's kind of insane. How, and also, this book, I there's a lot of um, foods that are very you know traditional and familiar. You think of pot au feu, mm-hmm. which I want to get into. Mm-hmm. But um, there's some foods that I have not quite heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, a deep... Dieppoise. Dieppe is a village oh. on the east, uh, sorry, the west coast of France, right on the mm. ocean. And so you can travel up the coast 30 miles, and they'll make a fish stew one way, and you come down to Dieppe. Okay. And you can pull yourself a, a chair up to a table on the beach, mm. and they will make you a fish stew diepoise, and that's ah. what I'm putting in here. I, I wanted Lovely. something a little different. So it's from Dieppe. Dieppe. The that's way they the make style. it in Dieppe. Oh, I see. So yeah. uh, let's start off with, like, because France is a, a kind of small country, mm-hmm. but there are so many distinct regions. Mm-hmm. So there's Niçoise, there's the Alsace. Um, could, if you had to break it down into major categories, yeah. like what do we need to know? Well, if you go up into Alsace, it's one of my favorite areas, yeah. and that's Germanic. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get heavier food. You're going to get Cream. uh, creams and um, sturdy stews, sturdy soups. Okay. If you move to the left on the map of France, you'll still see a little croissant on your map, and you'll see little <laughs> little cheeses on your map. But then imagine cows okay. and vineyards, because as mm. you move to the left into Normandy, now you're getting heavy cream butters. And mm. in fact, we right. had it this morning, a beautiful butter. Um, butters, cheeses. Um, you'll see apple orchards on your map. Mm-hmm. And they make a lot of um, Calvados uh, oh. there. So it's very fun to drive from Paris out to Normandy. Yes. Because you not only pass all these beautiful chateaux, but you pass fat bovine <laughs> content cows and and you see apple trees and then you come to the ocean and you have that amazing, you know, the oysters and the seafood. So oh. that, that area is beautiful. Right. You know, if you're a culinary traveler, that's heaven. Wow. You know, and then my favorite where I lived for over 11 years is the Riviera in the south in Nice. Mm -hmm. So then you're very healthy. That's Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Olive oil, fish. Sounds like dramatic contrast. Very dramatic. Totally different. (laughs) And if you go to the, if you look at your map and you're going to the west and then at the very bottom left, you're in Basque country, right by Spain. So delicious. So yeah, the food there is like unique. Oh, very different culture. Mm. Uh, where do we get all the wine-based um, stews and mm-hmm. like uh, you know, uh, cacao vin, 
Beef yes, bourguignon. Bourguignon. Yeah. So burgundy is to the right on okay. your map in Burgundy. I see. And then to the left, you have Bordeaux, mm-hmm. and they do Cacauvin. And then if you go up to Alsace, they I have in the in here a recipe for um, Cacau Riesling or or um, chicken and Riesling wine, and they, that's another form of Cacauvin. Cacauvin. Yeah. It's just you're using a beautiful light fruity Riesling, and I put in mushrooms. Oh, and, yum. Yeah, and grapes. So this is basically, those are the kind of foods that I think about when I think of uh, Good. Dutch oven. Good, and that's um, France. I mean, yeah. we do have a cuisine, and that's mm-hmm. a, a thrill. You know, three times a year, mm-hmm. special occasions, you go to the finest restaurant you can afford and, and treat yourself. But the joy sure. comes from walking down the street or finding a wonderful little auberge that's cooking in copper pots, you know. Oh, Right. Oh, you know another cool the- place to go? Oh, what? yeah. If you're over in Normandy and Brittany, uh, there's where Moviel, one of the French oven manufacturers, is. There's a city of copper. Oh, wow. And they've been making copper pots there like for centuries. Oh, fun. And um, it's in Normandy, and it's called the City of Copper, and that's where you find <laughs> Moviel. And Moviel are those. A little expensive, but yes. they're the copper and brass. Those things ovens. are a lot less. So, so yeah. a lot of these things that um, it really strikes me that these things are built to last. They're, uh, they're, they're I don't think you four could generations could use them. They're great. Break them if you even tried. Um, so, no. <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend trying. No, you don't um, want to drop them on your foot. But you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and then you, you it carries so much memories too mm-hmm. of food and um, passed down through the ages. And I loved reading um, your recollection of your grandmother's uh, Dutch oh. oven in the beginning. Um, so that was really lovely to hear. And you still have that pot. I still have a, it in yeah. a beautiful place on your cabinet. Yeah. So so yeah. just a note when you buy one of these, uh, just think of your granddaughter maybe one of these oh, days. Yeah. Pass them on, share them with friends. Absolutely. Um, and um, so, oh, go ahead. No. Yeah, I think the one thing that's really interesting, too, is, you know, if you happen to get this book, mm-hmm. is you can use it as a travel guide. Oh, yes. You know, because the book talks about the it's regions so and yeah. where they are made and why, you know, Revol or Emile Henry use porcelain and the other guys use metal. Well, Revol and Henri um, just happen, those families happen to live in villages where they had natural deposits of clay. Then wow. you need this white kaolin. Sand. And white kaolin. Okay. And then they thought, well, how are we going to make our living? And so they, mm-hmm. you know, started making pottery. And as the generations went on, they learned how to fire them mm-hmm. and get them to take higher and higher temperatures. Mm-hmm. So some of your Dutch ovens, if you travel to Burgundy and go see Emile Henri, which is a fun place to visit. That would be part of your trip. And okay. You can visit the factory and go buy their products and see them make it. Oh, wow. And, um, That's rare. And they're light to pick yeah. up, and they're really, really pretty colors. And then you drive, you know, south or to Normandy, and you can go visit Moviel, and you can go north. 
and Staub, which mm-hmm. everyone's in love with Staub. Yeah, um, they're made in good. Alsace, so it makes sort of a fun if oh, you're a culinary traveler. Yeah. You know, you can make this little trip around France and visit all these great places oh, too. Too bad I was only a college student when I went to Normandy, and I, I just know. went to the D-Day beach, and it was kind of a downer, but <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like the right thing to do at Aww. the time. Um, but no, I love how um, the book. It is a kind of like a virtual travel in itself, just looking through. And I, I just love how seamlessly the photos kind of display a little bit of lifestyle and folks around mm-hmm. France just doing their things and, and how this food really like plays an integral part in everyday it's, it's life. It's everyday and life. Eating and cooking. The other reason that, the other way I made this book, and I think um, I just wanted to point that out too because it's fun it, or it's utilitarian, mm-hmm. is I'm trying to teach how to use these things. Yeah. You know? Because so many of us just pick it up for a stew or, or, or soup. soup. And that would be a shame if you just use it for Yeah, that, I mean like, it's probably one of the most valuable yeah. tools I have in my kitchen. Deep fry. Mm-hmm. Because they're heavy, kids can't by accident. They retain you know, that heat and level. And they retain the heat. Yeah. And they deep fry beautifully. I make my jams in them. Mm-hmm. I bake cakes in them. I bake no-need bread in them. Yes. I do a quick pizza for two in them. I they're small, so you just do, you that know, you just great. get one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, you, Quiche, did just, like you, you can do there? anything in these. Yeah. Anything. You can braise. You and can you, bake. Oh, What's it called? Uh, paella, too. Yeah. A lot of people think, I need to have a paella pan, but... No. Nope. No. Um, There's wh- a one-pot pasta I do in here. That's fun, too. You just throw in the pasta, mm-hmm. and then you throw in chicken broth and white oh, wine. I see. So it's really just all It cooks together. right there. The pasta absorbs all that liquid, mm-hmm. and by the time it does that in about eight minutes... In your cuisine art, you make what I call a, a flavor bomb. I just put really strong things like <laughs> garlic and lemon and tuna and anchovies. And you whiz it all up and you throw it on your fresh pasta and toss it. And so now you have this very flavorful, oh. moist pasta dish. And you can throw on tomatoes and whatever. so but, clever. And then you can carry it to the table in the pot. Right. So the only reason, you know, I put in that recipe was just to show versatility. Yeah. You know, you cook in it and then pots, bring it. Unless you're, ma- you're like a soup maker professionally. Like stock pots. I yeah. just use my Dutch oven. So. Yeah. 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 Um, so much more to talk about. Um, we're just going to cut to a quick little commercial and musical interlude and be right back. magic wand tomorrow everyone in the world would have enough food to eat that was culturally appropriate and delicious the planet would be thriving because all the food would have been grown and produced in a way that sustains us both our bodies and our our world but man i do not have a magic wand what i do have is you and this radio station the heritage radio network that's what we're here to do we're here to help 
lead the way to a future that's more delicious, that's more fun, where we're healthier, where the planet is healthier, and we want you to be a part of that. We can't do it without you. As a nonprofit radio station, we depend on the support of our listeners. So take a minute out of your day, visit the website, and click the big beating donate tab. Throw us a few bucks. Every bit helps. We're counting on you. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will, too. And I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. All right, we're back chatting more with Hilary Davis, author of the her latest cookbook, The French Le French Oven. The last cookbook was French Comfort Food. Um, that was a great episode. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for I'm having me. Glad we didn't scare you away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was just thinking of dishes that. You know, you can make so many dishes that you wouldn't realize mm-hmm. in a Dutch oven, as mm-hmm. we were just talking about. But what are some dishes that you can really only make in a Dutch oven? And and one came to mind for me, at least. Mm-hmm. I learned about le cassoulet, mm-hmm. uh, which literally means the pod itself. Yeah, yeah. But it's this um, rustic kind of peasanty bean. From the southwest. Yeah, from the yeah. southwest mm-hmm. bean. Um, speckled with all manner of sausages and duck parts and um, fat, I love goose cassoulet. fat. Oh yes. my god, I love it! It's one of my favorite and dishes. It seems like you need something really sturdy to kind of just. It, it would, it yeah. would it'd be silly to put it, it out in like you know a, a tin. I, no, and also you need that cover to really cook the mm-hmm. beans through in mm-hmm. all this um, wonderful flavor stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what's called, and these dishes are known for slow cooking, mm-hmm. and that addresses that. Slow Slow cooking means you have slow cooking with a slow cooker, which you plug in, but these are the original slow right. cookers. And so it means these um, French ovens you heat up very slowly. Mm-hmm. You can't crank up the heat and just use them. You're supposed to no. generally gradually bring them up to heat, and then they retain heat much afterwards. So they're beautiful for slow cooking. Yes. And a cassoulet is a slow cooking dish it can take you know two three hours Mm -hmm. and so you go watch tv or play a game of tennis and you come back and you know this amazing dish has been simmering and as it simmers the the, you know the beans break down and become soft and these beautiful sausages release all their their herbs and juices and then i like duck in mine i love duck so I put in a lot of duck. You can put in more it's meats. It's studded with all these surprises. Wonderful. Lots that. of garlic. <laughs> yeah. Lots of garlic. And then, you know, by the time you get it off the stove, mm-hmm. it's so amazing. And then everyone loves, a lot of people love to put a garlicky bread crumb crust yes, on it and, and shove it in the oven and parsley and crisp it up. Mm. And it's just the ultimate comfort food. And it's so economical and that's what french food is about it's it is. really farm food economical food that that would feed a family for days I and mean, i gotta say the the few times i have made that dish and mm-hmm. i've i've had to bring it somewhere um and i i just took it out of the oven covered it i think it was already covered 
And, you know, an hour later when I reached my destination, it was still piping warm. Yeah. You know, it just really retains that. And I yeah. can't think of anything that would do that in, in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, they're a joy. I, you know, I often say that the joy of cooking has sort of dissipated a little bit. Mm. And I think part of bringing it back for me is the utens- the things yeah, that you... Yeah, get excited about yeah, this. Yeah, like have a beautiful pot Take to cook in. in. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, and use the best ingredients. And if you're going to spend an hour and find joy in that, which I mm-hmm. do, yeah, I want to use the best. You definitely I want to use cool stuff. I want to get excited. I mean, so. there's so much talk about um, things that are made, uh, foods, sorry, and like the origin and provenance and... Um, and uh, lo- lo- locality and like how food is grown, but um, it's definitely really fun to think about those other mm. things that go into your cooking too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks for yeah putting the high the spotlight on this uh, wonderful. And why do we call it Dutch oven? By the way, why is it, they were that? they originated in Holland? Yeah, because um, of the and then they were inspired by like Chinese uh, pots. That, well, no, or, the okay. iron iron. Uh, technology okay. was from China, mm-hmm. and then it came to Europe, and they made um, the cannonballs, and then it evolved from there to make these pots that had little uh, feet on them, and we still oh, use them here. Okay, um, you, that pe- you put in the hearth, right? right, right you away. put in okay. the hearth, or um, here now. Um, Dutch ovens, uh, there's a huge amount of people in America that use the ones that you put right on charcoal okay. at a campground yeah. and you cook in it. But they have the little, and those. Don't little, try this with other kinds of pots, please. Don't use good ones. Do it. Don't use your good ones. <laughs> um, and then it, that was sort of the history. Just and then it the came The worst over. disaster in camping. Like. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, sorry. They came yeah, over and then from it came over from Holland. Holland, and the English saw them, and so then the English imported them, and then the English settlers came to America, mm-hmm. and those little sturdy pot—they were—they are like ovens. I see, basically. So, um, because they have high sides and they retain heat, right? So, if you think about it, you've got a little self-contained oven. Mm-hmm. So the, the settlers would throw them on the chuck wagons and mm-hmm. go west and be able to cook breads and cornbreads and, and stews right Absolutely. in these wonderful Dutch ovens. You can make all manner of like cakes and desserts. I make cakes. I bake in them. I You can really... They're, they're amazing. A warm I, I, apple almond crumble with salted butter sauce. Yeah. Butter, wait, butterscotch sauce like you suggest in this dessert section. Yeah, and um, I think one of the other things I love, too, is I think there's a misnomer about roasting meats in these big roasting pans that oh, are, true. you know, low. And then you have to have the rock and all and this. And the stuff. And when I do one in a Dutch oven or a French like oven. Like a whole chicken? I, I do a whole anything. Mm-hmm. I do a big standing rib roast. Ooh. The beauty of them is those high... Um, those high sides. Yeah. So the heat emanates all the way around your roast. Right, right. So you get this beautiful, oh my gosh, crispy. That's right. right. And it doesn't touch the sides, it no. just radiates. It's so like you a still perfect get the crisp. oven. It's mm-hmm. close to the meat. So it emanates this high heat. Of course. And I get the most amazing, crisp outsides. Yet the meat's just beautiful. And I put them on a bed of vegetables, which we all do. Mm-hmm. And the fat drips down. So you're doing duck fat on. Mm. You know, duck with duck fat on potatoes, you could do a standing rib roast with, you know, wow. big chunks of, of uh, veg. This and, is getting me excited for yeah. Thanksgiving. And I don't <laughs> usually get ex- that excited about a turkey, but now I'm thinking 
that there's a lot of possibilities here. <laughs> and to anyone who's ever roasted like a whole something or other, like a rib roast or something, rack mm. of lamb, um, that dripping that will happen if you're if you're sort of poking over the edges, you know, of your pan, <laughs> I guess uh, that's something to look out for. But uh, yeah. If you have it, something more encased, mm-hmm. it cooks quicker. It cooks quicker. It's better, better mm-hmm. all the way around, and then you get the, Brilliant. the Brilliant. vegetables underneath. Of so. course, this is not like anything new. We're no, just, like, it's just, it's, I'm just, ex- <laughs> I'm just exploring it and finding it. It's but so funny. I'm yeah, always I mean, learning. I'm always. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for showing us the way. I mean. Oh, let's talk about this beautiful photo here of your beef pot au feu deconstructed. Because mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a famous dish, and it means pot in... Pot over the fire. Over the fire. Yeah. Okay. And all over France, they make a pot au feu. They, could, they make it everywhere. Uh-huh. And each village has a different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So I just take the liberty of doing whatever I want with it. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's so, a pot in the fire. It's a pot at my pot in the fire, but yeah. um, I deconstructed construct mine so mm-hmm. usually the french just throw everything in the pot it's usually a sunday they go to church they come back they dawdle mm-hmm. they have fun and then the pot's ready you know it cooks right. slowly on the back burner i do the meat and i like big marrow bones Ooh. so i have that all going but then I, in the oven i do my marrow bones as well i roast off marrow bones mm-hmm. and vegetables in the oven so that's why i call it deconstructed i have it also making the broth right but when i serve it i like those just caramelized vegetables as an added you know layer on top and i like my beef marrow bones and scoop it out because you've lost that in your broth yeah did it go okay i'm wondering about the marrow pull those out and throw them away (laughs) (laughs) but you have you still have the beautiful ones they're sort of cannibalistic the ones that you yeah that you roasted and you roasted so you get to have that too scoop it out Mm. With a little flake of salt on top yes. and a baguette to spread it on. It is and, so luxurious. Oh, I love it. I mean, the bones. simplest thing right. is so heavenly. Right. I know. And that's why I, I just love a recipe that just basically gives you a lot of liberty. You know, it just throw it in a pot. Just throw it in the <laughs> pot. That's what this is about. <laughs> I notice you also have a halibut version. I do. Which looks delicious. I'm it, it, yeah, the point of that was just to show how you can do a slow one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not as long. You can. It's Such the versatility of poached, um, yeah. yeah, a poached whole fish, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's easy enough to do with salmon. You have yeah, an I, olive oil poached that's salmon. That's a fun one. Oof. I just learned how to do that just before I've never writing done the that. book. It's actually an Italian technique. Okay, that I stole the technique. Uh-huh. Once I learned it, I fell in love with it. But Dutch ovens are perfect for this. Yeah, this is going to sound awful, okay? But you put, you fill about four to six inches of good olive oil. Oh, expensive, but no, okay. no. I'll tell you why. <laughs> in your Dutch oven, and slowly heat it, and you put in your your salmon. Uh-huh. You cook it very slow, like yes. at one forty degrees, mm. so slow. And I do it with Meyer lemons and crushed pink peppercorns and, and bay leaves. Beautiful. So it perfumes that oil. When you eat that salmon, it's as if it, it's just butter, literally mm. butter in your mouth. But it's still economical, Kathy. It's okay because all that um, olive oil, mm-hmm. I just put it in a ball jar yeah. in the fridge, and it's seafood flavored. Uh-huh. 
So now later in the week I'll cook shrimp in it or I'll use a little for pasta with clam broth or okay. you know you just work it off for a week or two on any of your other seafood oriented um, dishes you've got that beautifully flavored Perfect. scented uh, shrimp mm. you cook in there now now your olive oil has a little taste of shrimp and salmon and that you can play with me. it yeah I'd be I'd be happy to whisk up a salad dressing with yeah. that instead of like anchovies and add you know just that yeah cool yeah you could do your Asian spin from mm-hmm. your book we could take the oil from my book we need to it- work on a book together <laughs> Hillary I can see something good happening I can see your book we'll put this oil in it and you can play with it in an Asian way what would you add you'd put in sesame oil no um ginger yeah oh ginger yeah definitely ginger mm-hmm. maybe some chilies and yeah. what's the name of your book again the food of Taiwan that's right le cuisine de I don't know how to say it in French Okay, now we'll you have got to look. Me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll solve we'll that next time. So, thank you so much for oh, joining us again, so Hillary. Fun. I hope you keep writing amazing cookbooks. Thank you. And you joining too, us. Kathy. All right. So, thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Today's show is engineered by Liz Smith, the best and brightest. Uh, today's break music was provided by Odetta Hartman. The theme song to my show is. is by the California Honey Drops and today's show is sponsored by Fairway Market. Also as a listener, thanks for tuning in and if you'd like what you heard, tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel feel free to get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Next up, a short clip from Beer Sessions Radio. Drew, you've done a number of blind tastings, right? Oh, yeah. And what, and what, what, what typically comes up? Like, give us some anecdotes, challenges. I mean, it's, you think it's going to be lively, but you guys are kind of serious and quiet. On episode 214 of Beer Sessions Radio, Drew Nichols discusses what testers taste for in blind IPA taste tests. One of the challenges is trying to define the off flavors, especially for home brewers, because you know the, uh, there's so much science involved in brewing now. Repeatability is very important for a brand, and you know most beers you drink they have a brand name, and you expect something when you open that bottle. And I don't think people fully appreciate how alive a beer is. You know, it's it's a, it's a it's a live product. It's made from agricultural products. It's made from flowers. It's made from grain. When I say flowers, I literally mean hops are a flower, and you know it's a very perishable item. And so these the beers change a lot with time. It's, it's hard to get the yeast right. And so for homebrewers especially, they can get a lot of off flavors in their beer. And I think a lot of homebrewers and a lot of people who aspire to become BJCP judges, it's for that knowledge of the off flavors. Because there's so many weird little chemicals a yeast can spit out when it gets pissed off. And each one of those things has a different off flavor. And if you can recognize what that flavor is, then you can recognize what the mistake was in the process. So you say in particular when you're judging homebrew, there's certain things you look for. To find out more about blind IPA taste tests, listen to the rest of episode 214 of Beer Sessions Radio and hear from the other guests. If you liked this episode, you can find the rest of the Beer Sessions Radio shows at heritageradionetwork.org and iTunes. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. To learn more and donate, visit our website or connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for more. Thanks for listening. Something.